Hi everyone, welcome to this edition of Roar Lions Radio. I'm your host, Bill DeFilippo, and tonight uh, I don't have any usual co-hosts uh, from the blog here. Uh, no Matt, no either Matt, no Nick, nothing like that. Uh, because this week is uh, Penn State against Maryland week, and we decided to go out and one get some insight from one of our favorite terps, and at the same time, uh, Get insight from someone who I think has a really good perspective on college football and can talk to us about Penn State just kind of in a more macro sense in college football because it's been a very, uh, we'll say, weird year to start the year off for the Nittany Lions. Uh, so we went out, shot a DM, and we're able to get a co-host of the Split Zone Duo podcast available anywhere and everywhere where you can get your podcast. Our pal Alex Kirshner. Alex, what's going on? You know, I'm just trying to make it through this week the same as everybody else. But thank you, Bill, for having me on. I'm excited to be with you and talk about my school's uh, football team, I guess we would call it, and uh, and your school's football team. Yeah, it's a uh, it's funny because I feel like after that, what was it, the 2014 Randy? Well, that was the uh, Randy Etzel game where uh, didn't shake hands. Mm-hmm. Everyone's point. I feel like ever since then. Um, and I, I don't know. I'm interested in hearing your perspective here. I don't think, like, I certainly don't think that Penn State views it as a rivalry. Uh, I don't necessarily think that Maryland views it as a rivalry. I think they're two schools that don't like one another, but I don't think it's two schools that, like, take their game to another level. But it really feels to me like there is some amount of uh, acrimony between these two schools that I think can kind of be traced back to that uh, 2014 game. What do you think? I think that's about right. I, I remember covering that 2014 game. It was actually my first game at Beaver Stadium. I was in oh, the wow. press box covering Maryland while I was a junior there, I think. Uh, and at that time, Randy Edsel was on a big kick uh, about local recruiting, which, of course, any Maryland coach is going to be on mm-hmm. some variation of that same kick. But Randy Edsel was on a big one. I think Penn State had logged some pretty important recruiting wins uh, not just in the D.C., Maryland, and Virginia area around D.C., um, but even going down further in Virginia. Christian Hackenberg at the time was at Penn State. He mm-hmm. was the guy who Maryland and pretty much everybody else wanted. And so I think Randy wanted it to be a really huge deal when Maryland eked out a last-minute field goal victory over a sanctions-depleted Penn State with basically no offensive line. Uh, and, yeah, he made a big deal of it, which— I think any coach in his position would have done. I mean, exactly. I'm not saying it was a bad idea for him to make a big deal about it, but I could understand how that could be pretty annoying for Penn State fans who, at the time, that would have dropped their record against Maryland all time to, I think, like 35-2 and two or something like that. Uh, so I could see why, why some of you guys uh, might not have loved that, for sure. Yeah, and then they followed it up with a really fun game uh, the following year. Remember, uh, Penn State won 31-30. If memory serves, mm-hmm. Hackenberg completed like just a wretched percentage of his passes, but he went deep on basically all of them. Weird game. And then <clears throat> ever since then, uh, it's turned into what uh, I, I think a lot of Penn State fans have wanted Penn State and Maryland to turn into. But before we get into any conversation about Penn State and Maryland, like I mentioned at the top, you have a really good perspective of someone who – view is able to view college football for kind of a 10,000 foot view. And 
I wanted to get you on after the first couple of weeks of Penn State season. Nittany Lions, uh, 0-2 to start the year, had that loss to Indiana, uh, followed that up with a loss uh, to Ohio State, uh, fell out of the top 25 for the first time since the Nittany Lions beat Ohio State back in 2016. And before we get to kind of Penn State as a program, I want to ask you just through two weeks, what do you think uh, about this Penn State team? Are they a team that um, are they a team that is underperformed? Are they a team that has gotten really unfortunate with the schedule? Like, what do you make of this kind of jumbled mess of a program right now? I think it's still one of the better programs in college football. You know, certainly a top 15 program that is on the periphery of the group that could make the playoff, could win the national championship in any given year. I don't think that they are there yet in the middle of that. I mm-hmm. think that it would take a lot uh, in any given year at this point for them to get over the top and reach those goals. But so far, I don't think that they have necessarily underachieved aside from one really stupid sequence of events at the end of a game in Bloomington, just from my vantage on the outside. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think Ohio State did to them about what I expected Ohio State would do to them. And uh, in Penn State's defense, Ohio State's going to do a lot worse to a lot more teams (laughs) this year than they did to Penn State. Uh, So I think y'all are a little bit away, but closer than most. Yeah, one thing that I uh, really, really thought about that Ohio State game is that, and you know, we'll get in a second to the more macro view of this, but I think that's probably about as well as any team is going to play, at least in the Big Ten, is going to play Ohio State this year, uh, which makes the fact that it was such, I thought, a one-sided performance even more disheartening. Yeah, I could see how the sequencing and having to deal with Ohio State second uh, after a game like that could be no fun. And, and hey, also in Penn State's defense, yeah. I don't think you cried about it. There are no. certain teams in the Big Ten that cried about having to play Ohio State in the first two weeks of the season. <laughs> And that also, and that also cried about restrictions on pandemic football because they think it's their God-given right to uh, play football in the manner of their choosing during a year when nobody else gets to do that. But I'm not talking about anybody in, in particular, obviously. You're not talking about a program that had it pretty good under Bo Pelini and then fired him because they decided nine and four and ten and three wasn't good enough or anything like that. No, certainly not. Certainly not. <laughs> Uh, yes, as uh, listeners of this podcast know, uh, we, at the very least, are uh, anti-Nebraska. Uh, and, uh, I, you know, I, I don't think Alex explicitly is saying anything, uh, but it would, you know, you can make your own assumptions there. Uh, I, I want to get, like I mentioned, to the more 10,000-foot view of things. And that's your thoughts of Penn State under James Franklin, I mean, there is this uh, perception that I think some Penn State fans have, uh, some a, a perception that I think some fans outside of college football have, that this program is really, really, really good. You know, I'm not going to parrot the 2018 Ohio State ramp, but this program is really, really good, but it has a very, very hard ceiling. And I'm interested in your thoughts on whether or not you think James Franklin, you know, this program under James Franklin is ever going to be able to break through that hard ceiling that is Ohio State. If any coach could get through that ceiling, just kind of that general thing uh, as we look at Penn State over the last, you know, however many years of college football. I think that it's Penn State shows how hard it is to go from 
really good to great in this sport and how firmly defined some of those casts in college football are. Mm -hmm. And, you know, there are a lot of programs, Maryland included, that would kill to have even one year as good as Penn State's down year. But I suspect that that's not a ton of consolation for a Penn State fan who has been watching the peak kind of be middling New Year's Bowls for several years now. I, I could understand how, you know, once you've been there, once you've been in that real estate and it's been a while and you haven't been able to go up to that rarefied air where really only, what would we say, five or six schools are right now? I mean, if you want to really get serious, there's only two in Alabama and Clemson. Yeah, two and a half um, if you to want to include Ohio State. Alabama, Clemson, but... two and a half with Ohio State. You know, um, it's tough to get up there with those two, with Ohio State, with Georgia, and I would say with Oklahoma. Uh, it's tough, and mm-hmm. I can't empathize because I grew up a Pitt fan and then I went to Maryland. <laughs> so I actually don't know what it's like to be in that spot where you are kind of on the, 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 the second floor down, the one right below the penthouse, uh, and that elevator just never comes to pick you up and take you to the top. I imagine it would get pretty frustrating. Well, I, you know, I hate you making this comparison just because they're two different sports, but you mentioned growing up a Pitt fan, like Pitt basketball. Like, Pitt basketball is a really, during their heyday, LeVance oh, Field, yeah. Sam Young, Dewan Blair, mm-hmm. like, it, they're kind of a program uh, that I think is something of a kindred spirit there, but like it, 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 it's fascinating because I don't know about you, but I think that Penn State's issue is never going to be anything other related to Penn State. I always think Penn State's issue, uh, and it is Michigan's issue to whatever extent Michigan uh, can have this issue. Uh, it was Michigan State's issue before they started to fall off a bit. It's Wisconsin's issue. It's all of these issues. It's every program in the Big Ten's issue. And that is that Ohio State is right there. And I just don't... Like, I think if any program in the Big Ten is positioned to uh, knock off Ohio State, it is Penn State. But I feel like... And again, I'm interested in your thoughts on this. Ohio State is just such a hard ceiling for any team to break through that... There's going to be some element of bash your head against the wall nine out of ten years, and then that tenth year, uh, you know, uh, Grant uh, Marcus Allen blocks a kick and Grant Haley returns it for a touchdown. Yeah, Ohio State is the toughest ceiling in the Big Ten. I would say probably the toughest ceiling in college football outside of Clemson because there's just no contemporary. You know, you could always hope if you're in the SEC that Bama just kind of gets broken by someone else just by like Auburn running around with a tear on fire some year. Uh, and, you know, that that gives you an opening or something against Alabama. But Ohio State is a tough standard mm-hmm. to match. And I think Penn State kind of showed after that Marcus Allen, Grant Haley game in 2016 that getting there, I mean, getting there for one second, just for one second, think about all that that took. To get there for for one second, uh, it took a a freak play uh, that actually wouldn't even be allowed today because they banned leaping like the offseason afterward uh, to block field goals. Um, and it was a magical moment. They deserved to win that game. The next year, I think they very nearly deserved to win that game in Columbus. Uh, but it's just hard when you're playing a team that every single year is a top two or top three team in terms of talent on the roster. Some might say it's the the number one team this year. And you have to not only play your A game, 
but you have to play like your double A game and you have to hope that Ohio State's playing at like a B minus, which is about as low as it's going to go unless they are somehow playing at like Iowa or Purdue and Greg Schiano is their defensive coordinator. <laughs> uh, so it's it's just – unless something freak happens, it's just a it's a tough business to be in for sure to try to compete with Ohio State. And that's why at Maryland we don't we don't really try. And I think that's more satisfying. <laughs> yeah, I mean Maryland – it's also a case with Maryland of their, uh, it feels like there's an appetite for, and correct me if I'm wrong, and we'll, uh, maybe talk about this a little more. I feel like there is an appetite for Maryland to, uh, get, maybe not get to the Ohio State and Penn State level, but certainly we win seven, eight, nine games consistently. But the way that the DMV just gets recruited by, Ohio State, Penn State, Alabama, LSU, uh, every major program in the country. Like there's, uh, th- there are some challenges to convincing kids to stay in the backyard. In addition to you know, uh, however many years of, you know, neglect isn't the right word, but Maryland just being behind the eight ball. Yeah, it's tough. I mean, DC, Maryland, Virginia, the DMV is a really good recruiting region i mean it's it's a good enough recruiting region that if you simply cleaned up in your backyard you could build a pretty good program there if you really cleaned up i mean you could i I think be a perpetual top 25 program probably not and that you know you can't build a national champion just by doing dc virginia maryland but you can be pretty good uh and, and with the right players elsewhere you could be really good yeah it's tough because maryland does not have the program stature at this point and has not for years and they've been trying for a very long time to be the dominant recruiter in that area. I think that hiring Michael Oxley was very explicitly an effort to become that. And there are some decent signs on that front. I think that two of the top five players, including the number one player in Maryland in 2021 are committed to the Terps right now. Uh, A number of good players, I think at least three of the top five from DC committed to Maryland right now. So we'll see pretty soon by if that class holds and if, you know, within a year or so we start to see some promising things. We'll see if that's working for Maryland. But it's just tough. It's, it's the yeah. kind of thing that uh, might lead Maryland to be described for a long time as a sleeping giant. But sleeping giants usually just stay asleep. <laughs> yeah, that's uh, that, that is uh, certainly cer- certainly the case unless a whole lot of money. Uh, starts coming in from uh, Ward knows where. But w- one last question I have on Penn State is what do you think Penn State needs to do? Or is there anything that Penn State could do with Ohio State uh, in the same division to make that jump from, uh, you know, that second tier of teams to that tier of teams that is competing for national championships is winning the big 10 is doing that sort of thing. Sorry, what Penn state has to do or what, what, what Penn state, what Penn state has to do. Yeah. Okay. Thought so. Just make sure. Uh, I think Penn state probably needs to bump the recruiting a little bit. Okay. And James Franklin has talked about this a bit over the last few months. Penn State's recruiting is is always going to be good. I mean, they're they're a team that is going to be roughly half four stars and five stars most years, and that is a that is the threshold where you have to be to even be, mm-hmm. you know, a, a peripheral contender for the national championship. Uh, 
But if you really want to beat Ohio State, you got to recruit like Ohio State, and that's pretty tough. Um, I, I'm not saying you have to recruit as well, but Ohio State this year, I want to say, is number two or number three uh, on 24-7 Sports Team Talent Composite, uh, which tracks just the overall recruiting stars on a roster, uh, accounting for attrition and all of that. Ohio State is three. Penn State's 13. Mm-hmm. That's a big gap. You know, um, it doesn't necessarily sound like a big gap, right, because – uh, if the number 13 team in the country plays the number three team, you know, you're not going to view that as a cataclysmic upset. Mm-hmm. Uh, if the number 13 ranked team in the AP poll beats number three, it's an upset, but it's not like App State, Michigan or Pitt, West Virginia, 2007. Uh, but it is an uphill battle every time just because you don't quite have the guys. Uh, you know, you can see this very transparently just on a case study. You know, I think if Justin Fields is playing for Penn State, the other night, I you know that game probably goes differently, and yeah. it's nothing against Sean Clifford, but you know he's just he's not Justin Fields, and and I'm sure that I mean that's no offense meant to him whatsoever, but no. he's just not. There's there's only one guy like that, maybe maybe two with Trevor Lawrence, um, and if you don't have a guy like that, and then you don't surround him with you know 15 other five stars on the, on your roster. It's just tough when you're playing teams that do. Yeah, I mean, I. It, it, it's funny when you mention it being, um, when you mention it being like thirteen, three, or you know, ten spots, that sort of thing. I feel like in college football, you can't look at it as, uh, you know, your thirteenth favorite thing and your third favorite thing aren't that far apart. I think you have to look at it more like a bell curve, where. X percent of outcomes fall into one sort of place, and then there are the outliers. Uh, the bad mm-hmm. outliers are like hilarious, but the good outliers are Ohio State, Clemson, and LA, uh, and Alabama, those sorts of programs. And it's just a matter of Penn State being in that ninety-five percent of outcomes range, and not quite being able to get into that last little bit. So, I I, I don't know. I, I I think that it's on one hand, I think it's really good to get this um get this sort of look because like i mentioned in happy valley it's been a weird couple of weeks um from the end uh from basically the first half of that indiana game where penn state just did not look like it was ready to go to uh you know halftime of the ohio state game where penn state did not look like it deserved to be on the field with ohio state but this week they get the opportunity uh to start putting that stuff behind them and start getting into a position where they can make their way back into the top 25. Potentially they can uh, wrap up their season with six wins in a row, potentially by taking on Maryland in Beaver stadium uh, game is set to kick off on Saturday at three 30 PM on the big 10 network. Uh, before we go into uh offense and defense. Alex, can you kind of give us a glimpse at Maryland as a program right now, where they are, what they're trying to do, uh, and how far away they are from whatever uh, goals they are trying to accomplish? Well, where they are is trying to resurrect recruiting under Mike Loxley. Uh, their recruiting really tanked uh, under DJ Durkin for understandable reasons that feel stupid to even put into context with football. Um, Maryland had some highly rated recruiting classes. They fell apart. That happens when your program, uh, negligently mistreats its players, uh, and facilitates, helps to facilitate 
the death of one of those players, as happened at Maryland with Jordan McNair a couple of years ago. Uh, the program after that fell apart, I, I think, in a way that it, it deserved to. Uh, we can have an honest conversation about you know, what they've done, if they've done enough to get themselves back on the right track, on the right path. Uh, I hope that they have, and, and there are people smarter than me who know more about that than me that could assess it, but they're just trying to build themselves back up, and they're trying to do it by recruiting the DMV extremely well. Uh, I think hoping that Mike Loxley, who had a really good couple of years as offensive coordinator at Alabama, can sprinkle some play-calling magic on this and maybe get a little bit more out of Maryland than the current roster would suggest. Big step in that direction is getting Talia Tagovailoa to his little brother uh, who transferred from Alabama, where Loxley helped recruit him. Uh, I think Talia is probably Maryland's best quarterback in a long time. And I say that because he's had one good game. And uh, (laughs) that says something about where we've been as Maryland football with quarterbacks. Um, So that's, you know, I think there's some reason for hope and promise on offense. Uh, the defense is terrible, just really, really bad. Maybe one guy on that defense, Nick Cross, uh, who was a four-star, fringe five-star safety, who Maryland flipped from Florida State a couple of years ago. Uh, maybe one guy, and that's him, who could play, who would play on a really good college football defense. Uh, it's a terrible defense. Penn State's going to score just a ton of points in this game. Yeah, Nick Cross, uh, there was a moment in his recruitment. He was committed to Florida State, and then he decommitted, and if memory serves, uh, came down to the wire with Penn State and uh, Maryland and him ultimately choosing the Terps. Oh, so, yeah. yeah, so I'm uh, it, I, I'm glad to hear he's doing well because I remember watching plenty of him uh, when it looked like Penn State might have been able to pick him up in recruiting, and he was one hell of a player, but before we get into the defense, I want to talk about uh, this game, breaking it down when Maryland has the ball and when Penn State has the ball, and starting with Maryland, I you started with uh, the guy who I think I need to ask about, and it's uh, Talia Tagovailoa, and he, like you mentioned, to, to his younger brother, uh, he was a four-star, pretty respectable four-star, the number four five pro-style quarterback in the class of 2019, originally at Alabama, ended up going to Maryland. Uh, Alex, I think everyone is always going to inherently compare him to Tua, which is just an unfair comparison because I think Tua is the best college quarterback that I've ever seen. But he still looks like he is a an, an impressive young signal caller. What is it about his game that you think has Maryland fans excited? And are they justified to be excited and not just, you know, writing off uh, a good game that he had against Minnesota? Well, he has a live arm and he's got, for the moment, and I hope, pray that it stays this way, healthy ligaments in his legs. uh, And he is not a linebacker. So (laughs) Maryland fans are very excited to have a, capable quarterback who can push the ball downfield a little bit, uh, which he showed against Minnesota. I mean, you know, most of his throws in that game were not beyond 10 yards of the line of scrimmage. He's not Trevor Lawrence or anything like that, but he's athletic. He can get out of the pocket. He can run a bit. He can throw on the run. He looks poised when he's under pressure. uh, And he throws a pretty hard football. I mean, he, he spins it in a way 
that Maryland has not had a quarterback spin it in a while that I can think of. So I think as a fan base, Maryland fans are pretty pleased to have a quarterback who might be good. And I think at this point you have to consider that he might be really good um, because we just, you know, we have not seen that at Maryland in a, a long time. And I went to school there starting in 2012 and, we are still looking for our first good quarterback at the University of Maryland in my time following that program. And I, it goes back, I know for a fact, a ways farther than that. Oh, what happened to, uh, was it Kasim Hill who, uh, who, who yeah. was the Maryland quarterback who had some promise, but ended up getting a couple of knocks and, uh, you know, just ended his time with the team. Yeah. He, uh, he eventually transferred to Tennessee. And then I think as of last summer, he was, Moving on from Tennessee as well. I don't know where he's at now. I have uh, it up here. He, he is was... he is a Rhode Island Ram, baby. Wow. Go Rams. Okay. Uh, <laughs> I hope the best for him. He he was promising early on at Maryland, and then he got hurt, and it just didn't work out in the way that it very often does not work out with Maryland quarterbacks. <laughs> so outside of Talia, uh, there is – some th- there are some players who've put up some impressive numbers uh, for the Terps this season. Jake Funk in it running back, 27 carries, 256 yards. Uh, you know, that's a, a, a bit skewed by the fact that he had a very impressive game against Minnesota, but still a good game nonetheless. Some guys in the outside, Dante Demis Jr., Jayshon Jones, uh, and a really promising youngster in uh, Rakim Jarrett. Who of that group of skill position players do you think, at least over the course of this season, has the potential to be a guy who impresses and potentially be a guy who gives Penn State a little bit of trouble this weekend? All of those receivers that you just mentioned are good. I, I think Dante Dimas Jr., Rakeem Jarrett, and Jayshon Jones. Uh, Rakeem Jarrett is a five-star true freshman who Maryland flipped from LSU on signing day Mm -hmm. in one of the real recruiting upsets of the last year, if you think about how things were going for LSU and how things were going for Maryland. Uh, Jayshon Jones was great a couple years ago, missed basically all of last season uh, with an injury, and Dante Demas was promising last year. I mean, these guys are all young. They all have multiple years of eligibility left. And I think that they could be conceivably an issue for Penn State. I think that they could get some numbers in this game. Again, I don't think Maryland's going to be able to stop Penn State like at all. So I think that y'all have a lot of cushion in this game. And if even if you give up a lot on, on defense, I think you'll be okay. Uh, but all of those receivers are good. I mean, Maryland, I, I think that receiver is maybe their best position group uh, on the entire roster because they do have three, even maybe four pretty legitimate weapons in the passing game. And then uh, what about Funk? Uh, hard to get a read because it was Minnesota and their defense appears to be quite bad, but, uh, and, and, you know, I, I, I also don't have a read on Maryland's offensive line. So how much of that last week was attributable to them? How much of it to Jake Funk? Uh, but he's been around the program for a long time and Maryland has been able the last couple of years to produce most years, a running back or two who really totes the rock a lot and gets a lot of yards. And he could be that guy this year. It seems like he will be. Yeah, and they have a running back in Talia who, uh, you know, he's like his brother. He's not someone who is going to tuck it and run a ton, but he has mobility. He's, a, if you, you know, if you have to get him, if he gets outside of the pocket, that is hardly the worst thing that can go for Mar- happen for Maryland. Certainly not. Yeah, I mean, if 
if Maryland is moving the ball via any means on the ground, then things will be going uh, better for them than they could be. And then, you know, you just kind of mentioned this, but the battle in the trenches, uh, a Penn State defensive line that I thought was able to get a bit of push in its first uh, two weeks against a big Indiana team and then Ohio State that, you know, pro factory up there. What are you expecting in that battle of the trenches? I get the sense that you're n- you might not be optim- optimistic about that. Not very optimistic. I would expect that uh, the lines will be moving towards Maryland's end zone more often than not in that game. I think that there will be push generated for Ohio State. And then on the flip side of the ball, um, I, I, excuse I, me for Penn. Did I say Ohio State? You, you said you said for Ohio State, State uh, but I had on my mind. I had on my mind because I was thinking about something that James Franklin said last week, which is that Ohio State controlled the lines on both sides in that game. That was what I was thinking of. But yeah, Penn State, I think, has on both the offensive and defensive lines an advantage in this game. All good. I mean, as we uh, as you could probably guess from the very beginning of this podcast, I certainly would not mind it if Penn State gets compared to Ohio State more frequently. But that is neither here nor there. Let's look at the other side of the ball. Um, you know, I have two things jotted down here for when Penn State has the football. And um, I think I know the answer to this. Why has Maryland's defense been so leaky this season? A million. I mean, because they don't have enough good players mm-hmm. at, and they're probably not very well coached either. I, I don't, it's hard to say, but it's so bad that identifying what it is, is like a really Herculean task mm-hmm. for me because they give up tons of big plays, both in the running game and the passing game. They get picked apart kind of via dinks and dunks when offenses want to do that. There is no strength to this defense at this time, other than that there is one really good safety uh, in Nick Cross and at least one pretty good linebacker in Chance Campbell. But it's just not its just not good. You know, uh, there, there, there are probably smarter people than me who could schematically identify what the issue is, but I just think they're just not as good. They're not as talented as most of the offenses that they will see. Right. I, I mean, it's... You know, it's the hyper-reductionist thing that I think a lot of college football fans can do, but a lot of college football fans do it. If you want to be good in college football, having good players is a really good way to do it, and uh, it just (laughs) seems like that's the – that that is the issue with Maryland right now. Very much so, Uh, and I don't know that it will be solved this week. Uh, well, listen, you you never know what happens when you get a week of being coached up, so uh, we'll see what ends up coming of that. I mean – for Penn State, if you're the Penn State offense after the you know the first two weeks of the season, where despite the fact that they lost both of those games, and despite the fact that their offense went through uh, some cold spells in both of those games uh, against Indiana, Penn State, uh, you, you know it's the factoid that I've kind of been hung up on. Whenever I look back on that Indiana game, the gap between how many yards Penn State had and how many yards that Indiana had, the gap between how many yards Penn State and Indiana had was more than the number of yards that Indiana had. And then with Ohio State, you know, Penn State wasn't stellar on offense, but 21st downs, uh, 325 yards, uh, you know, 283 the air against a good passing defense. It seems to me like this is an opportunity for Penn State to maybe uh, let loose a little bit, let some guys uh, get into a rhythm. Like, is that basically what you're expecting? It's not necessarily a matter of Penn State 
trying to establish the run, trying to get receivers going. It's just trying at this point to score some points and, you know, get a morale boost in the offense, I suppose. Yeah, that can't hurt. Uh, I don't think Penn State's in any danger of losing this game, even if they play pretty poorly. Uh, I think that if Maryland could keep it, if Maryland could keep it within two touchdowns, I would consider that a really good day uh, for Maryland and an impressively played game. If they could keep it within one score, have it be really close, I would be over the moon as a Maryland guy. Uh, I, I think that it would be good for Penn State to just do more things right than they did particularly last week uh, because you're you're kind of going from playing on the hardest difficulty setting to a pretty doable difficulty setting uh, when you go from Ohio State to Maryland. So what's, uh, what's – Toss out some predictions for this one uh, over under 64 and a half Penn State 25 point favor. It's going to be a beautiful day in Happy Valley 71 and sunny out there. Uh, I'm going to go out and a limb and guess that you think Penn State covers 25 pretty easily. Uh, I think they probably cover 25. Yeah, uh, wouldn't. I mean, I don't feel confident enough that I bet this myself. I did not. I, I, it was a no play for me. And, uh, you know, I, I like to pick a lot of games and I did not play this one. Hmm. I would guess if I, if I had to be on one side of it that I would say that Penn State covers. I do kind of like the over though, because I think that Maryland might be able to contribute, you know, 17 or 21 or something like that to this game. Uh, like I think that Maryland could be able to get a few touchdowns on the board. And like I said, I, I don't think Maryland's going to do a lot of stopping on defense. Uh, so I would expect a lot of points. Yeah, there was a, a Penn State game a few years ago. Uh, I believe it was 2017. Let me pull this up. Yeah, where, you know, I don't think Maryland will put up this many points, but Penn State beat Nebraska uh, 56 to 44, where Penn State basically at the end of the game it was they had a lot, and then Mar- uh, Nebraska had 14, 21 points, something like that. And Nebraska just starts running the four verts offense against Penn State's number twos, and they were able to keep it to 12 points. So, I like there's part of me that thinks something like that would be plausible, but there does seem to be a, more than enough talent on Maryland's team to uh, Maryland's offense to be able to put some points up against uh, the Nittany Lion defense. Although they could certainly use a week where they go out and after allowing a bunch of points to Indiana and to uh, Ohio State, they could really, really use that kind of a really lockdown defensive performance. Uh, Alex, just real quick in the Big Ten this week, a fun slate, a lot of really good games out there. Is there one that you, you know, you're going to set aside time because you know you want to watch this and another game that you're going to have on the second TV and you wouldn't be surprised if you find yourself flipping to it for one reason or another? Uh, well, I think certainly for me, my, maybe my favorite game of the week uh, is Friday night, uh, BYU and Boise State playing in Boise on the blue turf. I think that's going to be one of the games of the year. And I actually am kind of a, a trendy BYU should get playoff consideration okay. if they go into the guy. Uh, so I'm excited about that one. And I am morbidly curious uh, about what's going to happen with Liberty at Virginia Tech. Hopefully a sizable win for Virginia Tech. But uh, that one will have my curiosity during the noon window, uh, for sure on Saturday. And then, uh, what, what about, uh, looking through the big 10 slate, how much time are you going to be spending on two games, Michigan, Indiana, uh, and then for a completely different reason, Rutgers and Ohio state. Whew. Uh, well, Michigan, Indiana, and for, excuse me, I meant to say big 10 games. Uh, you're good. 
I would say I bet on Michigan in this game because Indiana is wearing some really terrible camo uniforms <laughs> that uh, I saw tweeted out, and I was like, I'm betting on I'm betting on Michigan right now because that's going to be very bad. Uh, and wow, Rutgers is like kind of in a science projecty way. I'm just very interested in them because they appear to be a little bit more competent, but it still sort of feels like they're being sacrificed here um, with Ohio State, and I'm just not sure that I'm not sure that it could possibly go very well for them. Yeah, it's uh, it, it, it's hard for any team to not feel like, in the Big Ten at least, not feel like you're being sacrificed to Ohio State, and that's doubly true for Rutgers. Although Rutgers has uh, that they, they they've looked frisky this season, so maybe uh, maybe the Shiano men are able to keep it close for, you know, a quarter, maybe maybe a half if they get lucky before Ohio State turns on the Jets and pulls away. Alex, let the people know where they could find you if uh, they would like to either follow you, look into your college football insights, or you know, say anything. I don't want to say say anything too mean in case they thought you. Uh, in case, well, if they thought you said anything bad, they would. Uh, they'd be mean to me, and I would deserve it. But where can they find you? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Alex underscore Kirshner K I R S H N E R. Uh, you could listen to Split Zone Duo. We'd love that. It's a podcast available wherever podcasts are sold. Uh, or you can check out our Substack, mooncrew.substack.com. And we appreciate all of it. And thank you, Bill, for having me on. No, of course. I mean, a, a fun thing about college football is that if you are trying to consume college football content, uh, you're probably going to come across Alex at one time or another. So uh, I feel like it's only right that he comes on this podcast before every other podcast tries to get him on at one time or another. So, Alex, thank you very much for uh, joining us tonight. And then to everyone who listened, thank you very much for listening to this edition of Roar Lions Radio. Uh, as always, make sure you are uh, subscribing to the podcast anywhere where you can listen to them. If you want to go into Apple Podcasts, toss us a five-star review. We'd really appreciate that. Make sure you're following us on all of our social media platforms. Make sure you're reading and supporting the site. Uh, we've been putting it out on our socials, but we have a new hoodie out that features Dion Butler's We Are Not Normal, We Are Legends from before the Penn State, Ohio State 2008 game. So go on out, pick that up, and again, one last time, thank you very much for listening to this edition of Roar Lions Radio. I'm Bill DeFilippo. Take care, everyone.